you Jeff for agreeing to do this. So we'll start off and I just want to um, ask you if you don't mind, how old you are? I'm 51. Um, we're going to talk today about your sort of experiences sort of as you grow up and during your life in relation to your sexuality. So can I ask you uh, where you grew up Jeff? Um, my youth was divided into two parts um, which divide into primary and secondary. In the uh, first part of my life I lived in a very small community of maybe two and a half thousand people not far from Bolton um, where I, I think I was about the fourth generation of my family. It's an incredibly secure environment where everybody knew everybody and then in my secondary school life um, I moved to a, a nearby town which was huge by my, my standards but by modern standards still mm. quite a small town um, where I, I, I grew up to be an adult. And uh, were you aware, what was sort of your awareness of your, your sexuality as you were growing up? Conceptually I didn't even understand what the term would have meant yeah. and I would doubt if I was conscious of, of a concept until teenage years I would mm. say. And, and the issue of sexuality suggests a range of choices and a diversity, a difference between people and that just wasn't the case, that, that wasn't a reality and that wasn't a, a way of thinking. There was sex, I understood yeah. there was sex, but the idea of sexuality was rather a novel idea that only came much, much later. Was there not even awareness to feel any kind of, oh I'm different or I'm feeling uncomfortable, It's I've kind of got a, a, a path to choose at this point? Or The reason I bumped at the question of sexuality was because that, that's not how it hits you. Mm. What, what you realise is that you're being picked on and bullied. And the reason you're being picked on and bullied, especially in primary school, is... And people are picked on and bullied for a whole host of reasons. Yeah. Um, not, not necessarily the, the most obvious ones of, say, race, gender, etc. But it's obviously there. I, need, I, I didn't even articulate, I was just bullied. Uh, looking back, you can think... Of the names you were called, they were all feminising names. You were, your status as a male, although you wouldn't think in those terms, was obviously uh, highly questionable. And therefore, the other boys, because it was invariably other boys that did the bullying, would be f- saying something about where they stood with regards to their understanding of, of masculinity and who they were, and where they thought you stood. Um, I remember doing an extremely defiant act. Um, I, I once, when I was about eight, held hands with well, who was considered the ugliest girl, and um, physically the ugliest mm. girl. I remember holding her hand and walking around the playground twice, and then going behind the bike shed. And the reactions that that caused, because my status must still have been as one of the boys, because I'd seemed to have let the side yeah. down. Mm. That was quite a remarkable experiment. Not consciously done, I just yeah. remember it in, in retrospect. Um, so, with regards to did I know I was different, I was made to know I was different. Was it conscious? No. Mm-hmm. Is human difference <laughs> conscious? No. no. <laughs> um, I just thought being bullied on a regular basis, being called quite not nice names, feminising names was not nice. But I was in a very small community where I was loved very much by my parents and my grandparents. And um, outside of school, 
the boys didn't feel the necessity to police as much because they hadn't got peers watching them, yeah. so they could be my friend. Mm. Certain kind of sexuality did occur, physical intimacy between uh, one or two of my peers. That looking back and you say, yes, that was same-sex behaviour. Hopefully it's a prepubescent, so you're not talking about um, anything that you could equate to adult, adult sex or define it in those terms, but intimate. That felt perfectly normal as it was. So from that, um, and obviously that feeling of difference, how long after that sort of period did you come... Did you actually come out and... I don't think I had a feeling of difference. Mm. Okay. I, I wasn't different from the other boys. Mm-hmm. I had very, very similar um, lights. My, my best friends were other boys, um, and therefore I didn't feel different. I did feel harassed, because I physically <laughs> was bullied. So if there was a feeling of different, the feeling of difference was from other people who would distance themselves from me. I didn't distance myself from them. So we're going to the secondary period now. At first, I, was, I, was, I, I suppose I was a precocious child, and that, that's a difference. Um, but at school, secondary school was, was an awful experience. I think I must have missed about 25% of lessons. My attendance was awful. Mainly because there, the need for boys to be one of the boys and not be seen to people like me. But again, looking back, I never consciously considered I was an outsider, I had other male friends in the, in the school. And usually with most boys in early pubescent, you didn't, me- you didn't mess around with girls, I mean, girls were sissy and what have you. <laughs> but I would say when I was about 14 or 15, they'd opened a new sports centre, and I quite liked sports, not team sports because they got bullied, but individual sports, it was quite good. And I'd just been playing in a kind was a racket game, some discussion, or I'd been swimming and I was in the changing rooms and I'd heard this term homosexual and it was a gross term, it was absolutely an appalling word with so many disgusting connotations that that couldn't be me. So yes, there was some kind of, something in the brain was trying to fit where I was in this category and more, your name calling became more puff, queer, became more sexually explicit. And it was an absolute revelation. I can remember, it must have been swimming, because the analogy was breaking through ice. And I recognised that the term homosexual was the lie. That this cruddy, disgusting, awful word... All right, I wasn't a perfect student, but I wasn't that bad. (laughs) So it was the terminology that was wrong, not the concept of people were different. And I remember my reaction being, and I'd heard this term about 10%. So in the background, I'd I'd obviously been picking up and trying to understand why all these people were so shitty. And I remember going almost physically to the... People in the change room, oh shit. (laughs) Surely not, yeah. (coughs) Isn't there enough things for me to deal with without this being landed up? And it was more annoyance. Mm. So recognising, yes, I was different, that there were lots of other people who were different, that I wasn't homosexual uh, because the word homosexual was so 
obscene. It, had, it was filled with such grossly horrible connotations and concepts that that could not be anything to do with me. And do you think that was a sort of um, a time and a, a generation thing of that particular era that, like you say, the sort of the things that you were hearing about homosexuality were kind of the, the negative? But on the other hand, I was having sex with boys. And getting very positive mm. feedbacks from that. So I knew it was all right. Yeah. And I knew what I was doing and was being done to me was quite nice. Thank you very much. <laughs> and that's an extremely... The immediacy of that is ex extremely validating. All right, some of them afterwards at school would ignore you. Yeah. But that was part of the game. And it didn't involve phys physical intimacy such as kissing. Mm. That, that yeah. just was far too... Uh, girlish um, for anybody's liking but extremely validating so I think it was to more to do with being brought up in in a very working class um, neighborhood that has very clear views of what men and women are I mean all, both my grandfathers were minors all my relations were, were in some kind of manual labor tradesman or whatever so the discourse on who you are it was irrelevant. You knew who you were. Yeah. I was Jeff. Mm. This was my mum. This was these were my grandparents, and that's it. So, what I would now recognise as as discussions on the human condition. No. Yeah. So for the first ten years of my life, I wasn't called Jeff. I was my grandson's. I was my the son of my grandson's uh, grandchild. So I was Miriam's grandson. Mm. That was that was my yeah. term of address. So with that kind of very solid upbringing, you don't question who you are. You know who you are. Yeah. It's abstract This that there's this part of me that some people didn't like. Well, there's other things they didn't like about me. So I wouldn't say it, it kept me up nights at yeah. all. And, I, and there wasn't isolation because of the boys who were suddenly interested. So as you said, there were there were boys that were the same as you and interested. Um, but in terms of knowing any other sort of LGBT people, in terms of maybe even in the wider community, first they weren't the same as me. They were they were sexually Sex. similar. Yeah. In regards, they they like me and they may have had relationships with other people. I don't know, but they weren't like me. So I would not draw that distinction. So I didn't see the lads in my class as straight or gay. That would be bizarre. <laughs> I just wouldn't think in those terms. Conceptually, it just wasn't there. There were some lads you could have sex with, there's some that you couldn't, there was some possibility. Mm. What was the... Um, did I know any other LGBT? Yeah. No, absolutely not. Um, the only two role models I can remember were the lad on Are You Being Served and Larry Grayson. And again, that wasn't me. It just wasn't me. Yeah. Um, so no, that couldn't. I couldn't identify. I knew there were gay people. I must have heard the phrase, but if that were them, then I wasn't one of them. You'd have to create a new category for me. Mm. So no role models whatsoever. And it would be embarrassing. It would be embarrassing to talk about straight sex, like alone any other type of sex. It, the, the society which I brought did not talk about sex. It did not talk about masturbation. It did not talk about intimacy. It, you just didn't talk about it. 
So when a couple was kissing on the telly, my mother would go and brew up. Because she'd be embarrassed. She didn't discuss mm. it. So going on into your, your family and your friends, there wasn't this kind of discussion. When you did come out, what was the, the reaction then? Well, the coming out came over many years. And obviously, the lads you'd had sex with, you declared in some kind of very in-your-face way that you were interested in them. Now, if that's coming out, I don't know. Mm. I think it is. Yeah. It's very, very physically. It doesn't matter what names you use. You're actually saying, I find another man sexually attractive or someone of the same gender sexually attractive. As far as um, family was concerned, I was very close to one member of the family. Um, and... I did come out to her because I knew what the reaction would be and God bless her, she deliberately spoke me of the subject mm. so I knew what the reaction was and that was very positive I had some people had tried to out me I suppose but I'd always rejected it one from from point of view that I couldn't have been John Ingram or whoever it was no. the actress was just, sorry yeah. it's not even a possibility but, but I was, um, by this stage, I'd left school and I was a, a building site worker and uh, a very physical, a very butch, macho mm. kind of occupation. So that really put the dampers on many questions. Yeah. But that's not to say I, I didn't wind people up. I remember in the last few weeks of secondary school, I left school without any qualifications because I was happily out of school. One of the girls on the bus saying, what are you going to do? And I remember, I remember saying, well, I think we're going to go to hairdressing. And I'd already got an apprenticeship as a joiner. And so I was going on to building sites. So there was something about me that was provocative. Yeah. And, uh, oh, really? Oh, what, you know, steps going on. And I remember in the final year, we all had to do an assembly in, in, the, um, in the form, a form assembly. And I remember the night before going in the park and grabbing a load of flowers and pressing them. <laughs> and my, my presentation was on flower pressing. I'd never done flower pressing in my <laughs> absolute life. And this wasn't conscious, but obviously there, there was a kind of, oh. to hell with you, yeah. that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so there was rebellion there, mm. um, unconscious. Coming out to my, my father and my mother, that could never be abstract. What does it mean when you say to your mum, I'm gay? What the fuck does it mean? What you mean to say is that I'm not going to get married, have children. And, and essentially that's what you're saying. Yeah. Gay is absolutely meaningless. Absolutely meaningless. You might as well say I'm a pink elephant. You know, it, it's irrelevant. So... I kept them in the dark for a good number of years until my very early 20s until I found someone who was special enough that I actually wanted to spend more time with them and we'd been going out for about six months I think and I called I, I, I called my parents and asked them to, to pop round and I explained to them that I'd found someone who I'd loved mm. very very much mm. and his name is and my father's reaction was, was amazing. He said, uh, right, he said, uh, obviously I've got to go back and 
talk about this we've got have a chat um, but we refuse to leave in fact we won't leave until I know from you that you know that I love you now as much as I ever loved you and I was ready for uh, annoyance I was ready for rejection mm. this was just uh, I mean I was on the floor I mean, um, affirmation validation you're still a very special son all that kind of thing um, my only annoyance is that um, I expected anything else from them and within three days we've been inviting around for Sunday tea so uh, as far as the reaction from my parents it was absolutely fantastic to the point where my mother at, at family dues makes a point of always introducing my partner to everybody it's yeah. <laughs> <laughs> a very special pleasure for my the reaction from my extended family was essentially not to deal with it and I very rarely, quite a big extended family, very few of those um, I, I keep in touch with or have kept in touch with, with myself and don't want to know that, that that's fine. Um, from my friends, as you become a teenager, you start coming across, you make friends yourself, so you make a lot of what, what now would be called LGBT friends. Or I was involved in the trade union movement, so quite politically progressive people. Mm. And then you learn of um, you, you can actually become quite popular. Because this is what, goodness, 30 years ago. So having a puff room for dinner is, is actually got some kudos <laughs> to it. You know? yeah. the, the only problem is is, is a poverty of debate. There there is very little discourse. Um, on how to move things forward. So I remember being involved in the early campaign for lesbian and gay rights when we had a, the first fringe meeting at the Labour Party conference um, just less than 30 years ago when the news of the world was there and what have you, these perverts and what have you. That, that, that was very interesting but very affirming um, because it was still, the law was still 21 mm. uh, at this stage. That was very interesting and uh, a wonderful time. A wonderful time but but the only trouble is there was no discourse because it was still LGBT was still to do with sex and you didn't talk about straight sex let alone any other kind of sex and the, the old propaganda about paedophilia was was still very much to the fore I suppose that's what, as, a, as a very young person who'd come out that was 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 an added bonus to actually counter that argument mm. Yes, so in a very short number of years I went from being quite closeted but sexually active to um, being uh, a very lively activist in the LGBT movement, the trade union movement and in my, my own life. And obviously you, you mentioned sort of, sort of the support that was there from your, your mother and father which was, as you say, um, you shouldn't have expected anything uh, uh, less, but in terms of sort of other wider support, was there anything that you felt that was lacking at that that time? In retrospect, mm. yes. I mean, I, I've been brought up in a school where being different, i.e. not accepting a very narrow definition and expression of human sexuality, was de rigueur and that to deviate from that or, or to say even and by say I mean in your actions as well as as, as um, verbalising it was, was just unacceptable mm. the damage done to a young child is 
is incredible. So to have this conversation is, is proof that you're a survivor. That means you've edited out huge chunks of your childhood, massive chunks. That you have to to survive. Yeah. I mean, if you try and take on board some of the things that I vague memories of having mm. uh, would would render you immobile. Yeah. So looking back, the lack of role models. Mm. Yeah, I'm, I'm, as you may know, I'm involved in the um, LGBT history month. I've just finished there slideshow of 150 famous LGBT men and women and what's remarkable is I watch it and the sportsmen and women are there and famous poets and authors, famous architects and I still find that affirming and I, I watch mm. it again and again they've produced a film uh, about homophobia where they've actually turned around so the school only same-sex couples are considered normative and heterosexuals are the deviants and we watched it at the school's own conference and tears are rolling down the older people and the auntie it seems strange to call yourself older person but they were there and the tears are pouring down the faces and i think those two examples give some insight of what damage has been done it's enough to say you've survived and by survived, I don't mean from the dramatic of throwing yourself off somewhere or... Mm. I mean survive that you are able to have an intimate relationship with another person. That you're able to function. That you're able to have a career. But all the time is mindful that there are certain parts of your past which would be decidedly unhelpful for you to investigate. Yeah. Because they have been closed off. So going on, you mentioned about role models, but in terms of information provision, obviously... The dictionary. The I was going to say... Hom yeah. Homosexuality was mm. the... The dictionary was the only place to find information. But it's, 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 it's also a case of, of the climate. If there had been an LG, LGBT youth society in Bolton, wild horses could never have gotten me there. Because, first of the climate... I was not comfortable enough, comfortable enough. When, when someone suggests that your way of loving, who you love, is so base that you don't even mention it to yourself, to talk about impact on your self-esteem is bizarre. And this is not to martyr anybody, this is not to argue special cases. It's the invisibility of sexuality. First, the centrality of love to the human condition. Those people that are without love become psychopaths. I mean, that's how you become a psychopath. So love is love both physical and intellectual is central to who we are and how we function and how we value life. Your love or likes portrayed in a way that is not only demeaning but highly destructive in a younger person. I can't, I can't be more articulate mm. than that, and the effect it has. Yeah. And therefore, the idea of an LGBT youth society in Bolton would be a laugh. Advertisements of it would certainly exercise imagination. That would be important. The, the point now where you can go to a computer and put lesbian and gay. Mm. I mean, I look at that and think, 
but I have cut a lot of crap out. <laughs> Even if it was gay porn, it would be irrelevant. Because gay porn is validating. Yeah. Don't care what anybody says. Queer porn is validating. Mm. Maybe, maybe not the best introduction, mm. but it's incredibly validating. And that's what you need to counter the abuse, the cultural abuse, and the denial. What would you say was sort of, I know we talked about um, kind of edited memories of growing uh, of growing up, but what sort of particular memories stand out most in terms of maybe positive and uh, negative experiences? The negative ones have got to be being physically beaten up next to alienation. Being among the last of the people to be chosen in team games, of people avoiding you, the body language of fuck off to a, a young child. I mean, they're, they're pretty horrific. The good in connection with same sex. I suppose the physicality, but you can't separate it out. So the good is also the, the love of, of your grandmother, the love of your parents, because they don't say, I'm. I'm I'm hugging just the normative <laughs> yeah, part yeah. of you. They're hugging you. Yeah. And the most hurtful is the inability to discuss this with, with those you love and the distance that creates. I think that's the most hurtful. And, and that has been rehearsed a number of times by parents saying, well, why didn't you, why mm. didn't you tell us? The most moving validation was from my grand. Of, of, of who's dead now, God bless her. Very, very close relationship with my grand. She lost her husband when she was quite young, and I was her grandson. She once said to me, uh, I must have been in my thirties, and she said to me, uh, This AIDS thing, are you alright? Yes, grand. Right, John's cook tea. And that was incredible. Mm. This was a woman who would never have spoken about parts of her body, mm. let alone anything um, between two people. And that's that was her way of saying one, and she had to, because she, she'd obviously come to the conclusion, not, not, <laughs> not hard one, that maybe I wasn't straight. But her love for me got over that absolute taboo of her generation, talking about sex and sexuality, to make sure I was all right. You are all yeah, right with this. Yeah. Thing for it to, yeah, I had to, to get, climb yeah. over to make sure my welfare was all mm. that came first. What an amazing mm. signal. Yeah. Incredible signal. How do you think your experiences as a LGBT young person then sort of went on to impact and influence sort of your later life? I was never an LGBT young person. Um, well, uh, I, I, I just wasn't. Or <laughs> um, your experiences I, as, right. as, as Jeff. Right. Goodness, how they affected me. Right, okay. They've, they've intellectually dictated a lot of my life in that to survive, to do more than survive, which I have done, means that I've taken a lot of the negative experiences and made myself very strong. It's, it's actually covered me with a very thick skin. Because if you're used to being beaten up, you've used to being abused and you've actually survived all that, you've had to defend yourself a certain way. So you have defence mechanisms to all of that. 
I, I'm, I'm quite lucky in that I, I do live in my mind quite a bit, so I was able to intellectualise a lot of it. I would say, being the butt of um, daily abuse and ostracisation, intellectually made me very strong and has allowed me to go on and formally um, investigate issues to do with sex and sexuality. So I left school in no qualifications. I now hold three degrees and I'm doing my PhD, been a head of history, etc., etc., etc. Now I rhyme those things off, and to me it's perfectly normal. Mm. I should leave school and then end up with three plus degrees mm-hmm. and <laughs> um, a teacher, a head of department, etc. And it's only in reference to the people you recognise that maybe that's unusual. Yeah. yeah. Um, so it's only through other people, reflections in other people, that you can say, what is the result? Now, if, if I hadn't um, have had a sexuality that this society or members of the society find problematic, would, would, have that, would have all of that happened? And I don't think it would have done. Because I, I think I would have been quite happy just to settle down, me and, me and someone else, if it wasn't that big of a deal. Mm. My sense of injustice just bloody annoyed the hell out of it. So... I'd been involved in lots of LGBT things, from organising huge queer um, discos, um, raves in, in Belfast, where we've had Ian Paisley coming out and uh, praying for us, um, in Queen's University Belfast, in Trinity, got involved in the campaign there, the women's campaign to have free access to contraception, organising the first um, sex and gender education workshops in Ireland. In this country, very similar things, the Pink Guide in Italy, quite a lot of initiatives here, and the ones in Germany. Uh, being a, a journalist for uh, LGB magazines, etc, etc, etc. Chair of the new uh, the Manchester Gay Centre uh, building committee, um, member of the Gay Men's Subcommittee. <laughs> I go on and on and on and on. No, would would have all that occurred if if I hadn't had this experience as a young person? No, um, would I be as articulate as I am now, as I assume I am? No, would I be writing the histories I am? No, uh, but I've no doubt um, that wouldn't be the case. So there's lots of positives to it. Yeah. Not that I'm thanking homophobia for for that, but yes, I think if it. What, what niche attacked, well, what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. But it also hides some of the monsters. And, and yes, there are monsters there who you don't deal with. And that's the, the other side of it. What do you think it's like to be um, a young LGBT person or someone that is... Uh, yeah, aware that... Well, know, I first had experience in that... My pupils, when they leave at 16, usually uh, make a beeline for the email and go, you'll never guess what I have to say. <laughs> they email me and say, uh, you'll never guess, sir, what? <laughs> I mean, what do you say? Well. well. <laughs> How did you know? Well, when you stirred in year seven at Mar- Blah Blah's crop for <laughs> ten minutes, there's a little clue there. And they go around. Um, that's not everyone's experience. And obviously there's, there's lads you, you know. Yeah, I'm less sensitive to, to girls as you would expect because that's that's not my experience. And, and girls don't have that big of a hang-up. I mean, 
out of every 50 people that have called me faggot, I would say 49.9 <laughs> are lads. Yeah. <laughs> you what, sir? Oh, you, oh, right, you're gay, right, okay. So, about this homework, you know, it's just <laughs> because it's not to do with them. Yeah. It's not to do with masculinity. Mm. I think the young people who have come out to me, who I work with, and now I'm, I'm doing LGBT history months in schools, uh, the, the, the first thing to say is, it's denial, which is the secret of any ignorance, the denial of discussion, denial of visibility, is no longer there to help homophobia. Mm. Um, difference is everywhere. Yeah. Um, I'm not saying that makes it easier. That would be a very pompous American <laughs> thing to say, and we're all different. I think it's less of a leap into the dark. Mm. I think there's enough evidence of people who've gone before. It's very rare that someone doesn't know someone in their family or extended network who is, or has an auntie or uncle <laughs> who's. <laughs> what did they like to say? When I was very young, one of my f mother's friends actually came out as a lesbian. And that was absolutely meaningless, other than mm. they weren't it's happy it, with yeah, it. Yeah. Uh, but I always remember seeing uh, my auntie, because, you know, all your mum's friends are aunties, <laughs> and going out of the way to say hello. <laughs> not consciously, but yeah. I needed to like, no, <laughs> yeah. I'm not like them. So the question was, how do I think young people are reacting now? Yeah, what do you think their sort of experiences are? I think the biggest problem is straight lads, inverted commas, because there's no such thing by definition, and we're all different. I think they're, they're the biggest problem because they're still trying to reconcile masculinity, as, as gay lads are, and that's still problematic for them. What makes it a lot easier now, I think, is the visibility, that you have quite butch out gay men. And I know people who um, slate such stereotypes, but if they legitimise difference, then they're valid. I suppose moving on from um, that question, and maybe covered some of it before, is what sort of the, the positive side in terms of information provision and role models? And there's, there's, I mean, as you may have heard, I've been involved in a in a survey of, uh, of teachers, and homophobia is still endemic, to use the Stonewall word. But you're getting 10% of teachers in a school filling out this questionnaire. Mm. I've no need to say any more. That teachers discussing the issue. That the dislocation of discussion about the wondrous joy of human difference mm. and sex is now parting the way. So you can have a sex sensible discussion about human difference based on sexual likes and dislikes without the ignorant agenda of this is about sex helps a great deal. In, in fact, it can't be had. But, I mean, bloody hell, Radio 4. <laughs> I was listening to Radio 4. And... Right, today we're going to have a discussion about Gays and something. I can't think. It was something mundane. And uh, it was a well-informed discussion. And you're going like, we've become respectable. This is... Mm. <laughs> and what's happened in the last 10 years as far as legislation is concerned? Mm. 
what's nice, the discussion now is not about equality, it's about delivery and it's about young people. And how do we help young people have a happy life? And obviously that includes giving them the information with which to make informed decisions about themselves. And we're on that discussion now. Yeah. So we just need more of the same, of delivery, the focus on delivery. Very interesting anecdote. Um, 30 years ago, I sat in the basement of the Imperial Hotel Blackpool uh, in the week of Labour Party conference. And it's absolutely packed. It's the first ever meet, fringe meeting in the Labour campaign for lesbian and gay rights. The news of the world's been full of perverts, um, accosting delegates and what have you. And obviously what the press is concerned is in a kind of rushed discussion on, on human rights to do with human sexuality. And um, John Shires, who is still in Manchester, who was a, a guiding light of uh, the Manchester uh, movement at the time. Uh, he's chairing with some people there, Peter Tatchell's there and what have you. And apologies were given, Tony Bennett sent his apologies and what have you. And there's a soldier got up and talked about his discharge and what have you. And then this figure, because it's absolutely packed, is snaking to the front <laughs> and it's Tony Bennett. And he goes to John, who's chairing it, and the soldier sits down and John says, right, Tony's, Tony, mm -hmm. I mean, he's not, I, I don't think he stood as deputy leader then, but he was extremely mm -hmm. popular. And uh, Tony's got to disappear, but it's sort of next Tony then. And uh, first of my apologies for sending my apologies and then and I saw <laughs> you being slated so much in the press, I had to come. Mm. Right, I've not got much time, this is what's going to happen. For the next five to six years, you're going to face lots of this shit. Apologise for the language, but it's shit. Right? Uh, you're going to get this purpose and what have you. Then you're going to have some silence. Don't stop pushing, mm -hmm. just keep campaigning. And for 15 to 20 years, you'll have lots of silence. Then after that 20 years, you're going to be hard pressed to find anyone who disagrees with you. <laughs> now that 20 years of silence is really important because that's people changing their minds. Mm. But that's how it's going to be. No, I'm sorry, <laughs> I'm, I'm off to a CND meeting. <laughs> I'm off. And he disappeared. And goodness, how mm. pathetic. Mm. And that's how it is. Yeah. And that's where we are. You're recording my memories of what it was brought up in a society where not just LGBT, but human sexual difference, full stop, did not exist. Yeah. You either as a lad you found a wife who would be a good housekeeper and a good mother to your children you got out of that you'd be cared for domestically and sexually and all the perks that go with masculinity and that was it that was the deal you could have a bit on the side every now and again but that was the deal that was the deal yeah now if you couldn't play that there's something wrong with you mm. and that includes a whole gamut of relations both what we might crudely describe as heterosexual and homosexual, yeah? Yeah. yeah. But again, those terms are actually meaningless you, when we're talking about human difference. And that was my world. No, you either confide, that was your lot or not. And it wasn't take to leave it. Mm. If you don't take that, we've got some monsters ready mm -hmm. for you. So that's where we were. To society now, 
which is still intolerant. Human beings don't change that often, but where it is less acceptable now to be bigoted. Yeah. That means horror doesn't happen in schools. Bigotry is, is, is a part of all our lives. But where the issue of homophobic bullying, for example, is now a subject that is volumes of guidance, mm. where the chair of the police authority in Greater Manchester saying homophobic hate crime is absolutely unacceptable. We've got, yeah. I mean, this is the chair of the police authority. So, and now the focus isn't right, deliver it. So if you've seen the teacher's report, 75% of staff say, give us the training, for God's sake. Because when we have been brought up, no one talked about it. Can you teach us how to deal with it, please? That's progress. Um, And finally, um, if there's a young person listening now that is maybe aware that they're they're different, that say, you know, they're... um, they're struggling maybe with their, their sexual identity at the moment. Um, what kind of message would you have for them? Well, first, they're not struggling with their own sexuality. There's, there's a, you, you're struggling with other people's perceptions of who you are. You, you've got a right to be who you are. Perfectly right, perfectly natural. You really need to share. Because on your own, the monsters come. So you need to share. You're very lucky that you've got LGBT youth in Manchester. You're very, very lucky. First and foremost, you can actually trust them to be confidential, to share your information no one else. And that's important to you. Mm. God, that's important to you. And they will listen unconditionally to what you've got to say. And by definition, just talking about what you think is a unique difference you know it's not, the internet's there, the, the media's there, you're not alone. But what's important is that you learn who you are. And you can only learn that through other people. So I'm slightly envious of you. In fact, I'm very envious of you. Because you've got more chance today of being a whole, complete and happy individual than when I was your age. Although I wouldn't swap places (laughs) because bigotry and ignorance have given me strengths which have made me me. To take them away from me now, I would cease to be the person I am. But even though it doesn't feel like it, you're in a much better place now than I or many other people were 30, 40 years ago. And your sexuality, although an important part of your life, is not all of your life. Because when you've dealt with that, you've still got to learn how to get on with other people. And if you learn the key, please come back and tell me. (laughs) Thank you very much. That's excellent. Thank you for your time. It's a pleasure.